through him. And the goal for us at the start of this year is to look at Jesus, his power, his beauty, and to make him preeminent again in our hearts and minds as we start the year together. Second question I want to answer is this, to whom and when was the book of Colossians or the letter of Colossians written? First off, uh, it's addressed to the Christian community in Colossae, and uh, it, Colossae sits about 100 miles east of Ephesus in Asia Minor. And uh, to give you a little context on the timing as to when the letter was written, um, there's a moment in time that I know that many of you are familiar with in reading the Gospels or reading Acts that Paul has this vision of God. He's walking along the highway and uh, all of a sudden is struck with a great light. Uh, his eyes kind of go blind for a minute and he has a vision of God. That, the historians say, took place in A.D. 37, all right? 37 A.D., uh, which means that about 25 to 30 years of time passes between that moment and a moment in which Paul is sitting in a jail. And in that jail, he pens the letters to Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And that book, most historians say, was written, or that letter was written around A.D. 62, or somewhere between A.D. 61 and 65. So that gives you a little context as to who it was written to and when it was written. Uh, but what is the purpose of the writing? I'm going to state three. I think all of these are part of the emphasis that Paul is looking at. First is to declare the deity and supremacy of Jesus Christ over the entire created universe. The second big idea is to clear up what was becoming a false narrative of who Jesus actually was uh, within that particular church. And then the last one was to exhort all of us by proxy, but specifically all of the Colossian Christian community, to lead godly lives and to live into spiritual maturity, to actually express their faith by their actions, their thoughts, their intentions. Um, and then I'm going to answer one final question before we spend a little bit of time worshiping God in music. That last question is this, does this letter even relate to us anymore? I think one of the challenges anytime we get into this text is that it is written beautifully, but it is written so many years ago that there's times that maybe this doesn't happen to you, but it does to me that you read it and you go, man, that makes a lot of sense for them, but maybe it doesn't quite make a lot of sense for 2020. Like, how does this really relate to who we are and what we're going through? He's writing in a completely different time to a completely different culture. And so I figured to answer this, I would let you be the judge of whether it relates by giving you just a really quick snapshot of Roman culture at the time. If you think about the context in which he's writing, uh, Rome was the leading world power at the time, the most powerful nation or empire. And the culture in Rome was live and well, and it expressed itself in numerous ways. I'll give you just a few of them. First, they had a deep nationalistic pride in their military might, that our power comes from our military and it's beyond anyone else's. 
They would esteem in their culture the athletic abilities of their people and nearly worshipped star athletes as gods. I don't know if any of this yet relates to us. They valued theater and drama to such levels that actors and actresses were admired by society as special people, unique, different. They had a pride in their educational institutions and universities. They were very loose morally. They had a global goal, and that was to colonize the then known world with their form of government and their religious beliefs. Again, not sure that this relates in any way to us. But the idea is that Paul into that culture is speaking to the Christian men and women and asking them to walk in newness of life, to live in a way that is completely opposite of being conformed to the Roman philosophy and instead as he talks about in Romans, to be renewed in our mind in a way that it means we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That everything we do, our intentions, our actions, our desires are are in response to the grace and love that Jesus Christ gives. And I would say that is our same charge this year. To take the first part of this year, to set it aside, to remember and honor Christ as Lord of everything, and then to invite all of us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received. Let me pray, and then we're going to spend some time worshiping God in song, and and then I'll come up in a little bit and uh, walk into our first two verses of Colossians. Let's pray. Um, You realize what you just said right there? What we all just said? That God has in with absolute certainty, this is true for all of us. He has always been faithful. And in our lives, he has always been so, so good. And then we all just promise that with every breath that we are able, that we will sing, that we will work, that we will teach, that we will live, that we will breathe the goodness of God. That's a bold claim. Right? I hope that's true. Right? I hope that is true of me. Because I can say with absolute certainty, I can stand before you and say that he has been so, so good to me. So, so good to my family. So, so good to this community. And I hope in this year that we lean into that last part. That with every breath, with every action, with every step, that we echo that back to others. Uh, We are looking at the first two verses of Colossians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, This is how Paul starts his letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's what we're going to look at for the next few moments And uh, I think why this is important is the way that you start something usually says a lot about you. It's one of the reasons I like the beginning of a new year is because it's a fresh slate. It's a chance for you to begin again, right? And uh, we have a lot of these kind of arbitrary uh, new starts in our world, if you think about it. 
Um, every December, around December, we begin the Advent season, which is the beginning of the Christian calendar for the year. And so even before the new year comes around, we've already started into a new Christian calendar and a new season. January 1 is the beginning for us of a new year. It's a way, again, for us to have a fresh beginning. Um, in this case, a new decade. Uh, for me, my birthday's in June, and so when June comes around, it is the start of another birth year. And so a lot of times we measure our years by our particular birth date. And then uh, around September or so, depending on what school you go to, you begin a new school year, right? And so we have these, throughout the year, we have these fresh beginnings, fresh starts. They're a chance for us to, for some of us, create goals, things you want to accomplish, uh, something you want to do. For others, a chance to just say, hey, we're going to wipe everything from the past and we're on to a new season. And uh, these centering, these, these moments can be, I think, centering points for us. A chance to kind of reorient and amend our goals, create some new ambitions, uh, lean into some new realities. But as we do that, I'm always struck with the process that we take. Whether you call them New Year's resolutions, where you, whether you call them just a goal that you have, uh, we tend to follow a particular process as it relates to how we carry out our goals. And I figured I would talk about it this morning because I think it relates to what Paul says at the very beginning of Colossians. When we come up with resolutions or goals or ambitions, we usually begin with outcomes, right? It's the goal that you have in mind. It's the thing you want to achieve. It could be to develop a new habit, uh, to read a certain number of books over the course of a year. Uh, it could be to lose weight, to save money, to start exercising, to be a more intentional father, to check another item off your bucket list. Whatever it is, you get the idea. We usually start with outcomes. So what I want you to do, just for a moment, I'll give you about 15 seconds or so, and I want you to think about a particular outcome or desire you have for this coming year. Now, again, if you don't make New Year's resolutions and you're like, nope, never doing that because I never fulfill them anyway, okay, that's fine. You, about 50% of everyone probably follows that same course of action, and it's reasonable because most of the time we don't fulfill them. But just think of a goal, something you're aspiring to, something that you like, oh, man, I'd really love for this to happen because we're going to use that as a point of reference for the next few moments, okay? So I want you to just... 10, 15 seconds, think of a outcome, some goal that you would like to see actualized. And like I said, we usually start with outcomes. And most of us are aware that in order for that to happen, you have to go a layer deeper, right? That outcomes don't just materialize. They just don't happen out of nothing that... We understand, like what my mentor used to quote to me over and over and over again, that life is not determined by what you want, your outcomes, but by the choices that you make, okay? What he's getting at is the idea of process, right? Life is not determined by what you want, your outcomes, but by the choices that you make. Process is a layer deeper. It is the way that we go about or the means that we use to reach our particular goal. Uh, it's a way to move from your present reality to a new reality. 
And um, it's how we develop new habits. It's how we try to actually, so if the goal is losing weight, for example, you would say, okay, I need to exercise, I need to count calories, I need to eat healthy, I need to do. Those are the processes that get you to your particular outcome, okay? So again, I want you to think about the outcome you just stated a minute ago in your mind or you wrote down in your journal. I want you to think about that. But what I want you to do now is assign to it one or two kind of action steps. What is the process that would actually help you get to that particular goal? All right, so I'll give you another 10 or 15 seconds to think about an action step or two, the part of the process to move you toward your outcome. So you have an outcome, go a layer deeper, you're into process, which then moves you into a deeper layer, which is really intentions or motivations. More and more research is coming about, out about this idea of intentions or motivations and the importance of it, right? Um, as I said before, about uh, half of the United States writes a resolution, and then of that half, about half or maybe around 40% actually fulfills it in some particular way. But part of the reason why that's the case is that many of us lead with this idea of outcome. We may even think through the process, but we don't really factor in the motivations or the intentions behind it. So we leave out what's called the feeling part of our brain. Okay? So we use the thinking part of our brain to come up with the goal. We use the thinking part of our brain to think about all the steps it would take to reach that goal, but we never consult with the feeling part of our brain that actually like, speaks to the emotions and the intentions behind what you're doing. And the problem with this is that when the thinking brain and the feeling brain don't communicate with each other, with each other that oftentimes then the feeling brain overrides the thinking brain. Uh, maybe this has been true for you. You want to wake up early, but you just don't quite feel like it, right? Or you want to eat well, but that ice cream looks and tastes so good, right? Or you want to develop that habit, but it is so hard, and it hurts, and it just is painful, and I don't really want... Because what you're now talking about is the feeling part of your brain, right? So you have this feeling, and you have this thinking, and often the feeling overrides the thinking rational part of the brain that has determined the goals and the outcomes and the process. And the reason I bring all this up, because you're thinking to yourself, what does this have to do with anything at this point? Um, the reason I bring it up is because this is often where the church ends the conversation as it relates to our faith. We talk about your desires. We talk about how the best way to alter your life, to live more like Jesus, to live into the calling you've received, to walk worthy in the manner of that calling, is for you not to change the outcomes, not just to change the process, but if you could really get after it, you got to change the intentions, the motivations, the feelings, the attitudes. you got to change what it is you crave. And there is truth to that. And in fact, I think many of you could probably pull out scripture passages and go, oh yeah, in fact, it says right here, if you just change how you feel about it, it will result in a change of outcome. And 
For example, we would turn to Colossians 3 that says, set your mind on things that are above or, or begin to desire the things above and not to desire the things on earth. Or in Ephesians, it talks about put off your old self. Don't keep chasing after that lust, that desire, that flesh, but instead put on the new self that is in Christ, right? And if you can just change that thing you desire, then all of a sudden you'll begin to change the process, which then gives you the outcome that you've desired all along. But I'm going to venture to say that I think that stops just a little bit short. And it's part of why we don't reach our outcomes. Now, what Paul is doing in this text is he's writing a letter in a pretty unique set of circumstances. He's sitting in a jail cell, potentially strapped to a guard or to other people in jail. And he's sitting there and he's penning a letter and sending it off to a church, a community of faith that he's never met before. And he's telling them a story of faith. He's walking them into the ways they should live. And Paul, in that moment, is 100% a prisoner of Rome. But he doesn't see it that way. In fact, in Ephesians, he says this, that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And then later on in chapter 4, he says he's a prisoner for the Lord. Paul never mentions that he's a prisoner of Rome, but instead that he's a prisoner of Jesus. And in our text today, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1, he starts off by saying this, that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. In both of those occasions, he's speaking about a layer deeper. He's getting after the layer of identity, right? Your goals, your outcomes, your very life is determined by your identity, who you believe you are, who you believe you are becoming. Throughout the Bible, you notice that this deeper reality is going on that we often overlook. So, for example, in Colossians 3, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And we go, yeah, see, just change the desire, just change the motivation, and you fix it. And yet, the next verse goes on to say this. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What he's saying is that when Christ, who is your life, that your identity has changed, that who you were before is not who you are now. Or in Ephesians 4, put off the old self, put on the new self. And he follows it up by saying, be imitators of God. How? As dearly loved children. So he doesn't just call you to imitate Christ. He gives you your identity while telling you that, that you are a child of God, that you're loved by God. That identity as a loved child of God, an heir of the king, changes your particular perspective. What Paul is getting after is your worldview, right? He's getting after this deeper thing. What he's saying is don't just add faith in Christ to what you already think and believe. Rather, completely change what it is you think and believe about yourself to take on the worldview that you are in Christ, right? It's a complete change of identity. 
I think the reason that most of our goals, our New Year's resolutions do not come to fruition isn't because we chose a poor outcome. It might not even be because we didn't start working through the process to get to that outcome. We might even at times have the right motivation or desire. The, the, the part where it fails, I believe, is a lack of identity. The core of who you are You do not see yourself as the goal requires. The core of who we are often does not see ourselves like the goal requires. Chester and Timmis says this, we build our lives around our identity, around how we see ourselves. If you see yourself first and foremost as a businessman or a housewife or a professional, then you will build your life around this with the church as part of an orbiting fringe of activities. But if you see yourself first and foremost as a member of God's missional people, then you will build your life around this identity. See, the goals that we're setting and the process we're taking to get there are driven by the identity that we recognize we have. So my question to you is, what identity are you chasing? As you come into 2020, what identity are you chasing? Is your identity found in your career, your family, your interests, your reputation? Or is it being driven by you being a follower of Christ? Is your greatest identity that you are a child of the King, a member of the church, a follower of Jesus? Because as that quote said, if you orient your life around being a member of the church, it leads to different motivations, which leads to different priorities, which creates different outcomes. So do you orient your life around the universal church, around the body of Christ, the people of God? I am convinced that if Christians around the world were suddenly to renounce personal identity and instead begin to respond in radical obedience to the identity we've been given by God, the world would be a fundamentally different place. We would be operating out of a completely different orientation, identity, personhood that would result in amazing and beautiful expressions of faith. So this week, I want you to do two things. One, I want to encourage you to wrestle with a few questions. I'm going to put them on the screen in a moment, and my hope would be that you would wrestle with these in group. You can put them up. Um, First, asking the question, what is the identity that you're chasing? If you had to be honest with yourself, right, what is the core that you're living from? When you thought of that objective, when you thought of that goal, when you said, man, I, I want so bad this year to do this thing, Was it like how to be a better follower of Jesus? Was it how how to be a better member of the community? Or was it like a career-oriented, hobby-oriented, life-oriented type goal or aspiration? Second, are you defined first and foremost by the identities Jesus gives you or the identities you're striving to give yourself? And then can you explain that? Okay, obviously I know this is a yes or no question or an either or. 
I want it to be open-ended. The idea would be to express why it is you feel that way, okay? Third uh, question, what are the identities that come directly from our Father? What I would love for us to do in groups is to list those, to describe those. I mentioned a few, a son or a daughter of the king. So that's prince and princesses of the one that Colossians described as in all and through all and to whom all things belong. Right, that would be one. A missional person of God, a member of the body of Christ. Those are part of what you've been given, and there's a whole lot more. So list those. Describe them. Because my hope is that we would learn to listen to the voice that reminds us over and over again that you are my beloved, and on you my favor rests. If we can get in the habit of hearing that voice speaking and the Spirit moving in that way will be in a good place. And then, um, I, I want you to cultivate, I want you to cultivate a willingness to ask the deeper question. I am always impressed slash blown away by people who are willing to ask the deeper question. That when someone is asked the question, what is your goal for the year, right? They're asking an outcome question. You instead ask the question that's a little bit deeper, well, how will you get there, right? Now you're asking process or into questions. Or if the person says, uh, what is the thing that you're desiring? What's your aspiration? What's your hope? They're getting at that third layer, right? Motivation, intention, desire. So ask the next deeper question, right? So what is the truth that you're living from that created that desire, right? Because you're always asking a deeper and more thoughtful and more kind of like, penetrating into your soul kind of question. Because I think as we do that and we ask the deeper questions, it leads to a deeper faith. It leads to a greater expression of it. Um, and it leads to us discipling one another in beautiful ways. My hope for this year is that we would ask each other the deeper question. But beyond that, my hope is that we would lead and live into the identities that we've been given by our Father. Will you stand with me, and we will read the benediction. This is uh, my prayer for us as we begin this year, and specifically for this week. New community, go now in peace, for Christ has called you to live in peace among your brothers and sisters. Go now in courage, for Christ has called you to be agents of redemption and partners in healing. Go now in your true identity to love and serve God as you love and serve the world. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.